Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. And thank you so much for joining Watermark's podcast series, Women of the C-Suite where we have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished female executives anywhere about their journeys and the paths they took to get to the top. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr, and I join you with my co-host, the CEO of Watermark, Peggy Northrup. In this series, we draw out meaningful insights and candid perspectives that will help you to make your mark. Hello, everyone. I'm Peggy Northrup, the CEO of Watermark, and today we are talking to Jen Lim, the CEO and Chief Happiness Officer of Delivering Happiness, a company she and Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos.com, co-founded to inspire science-based happiness, passion, and purpose at work, home, and in everyday life. Jen has been a consultant at Zappos from its startup days in 2003 to the $2 billion plus business it is today. In 2010, Jen led the launch of Tony's book, Delivering Happiness, which sold more than half a million copies and has been rated one of the great business books by NPR, Inc. Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal, among others. In October 2021, Jen released a second book called Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact. Can't wait to talk about that. Jen, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Honored to be here. Thank you. So um, I definitely want to talk about your book and what how that all came to be. But because this is the Watermark C-Suite Women podcast, I also want to talk about your route to where you are right now as a best-selling author. So a lot of people start out life as the um, with a really clear sense of your of a career path. And a lot of other people take twists and turns. I'm a twist and turn kind of person. So mm-hmm. what has your journey been like to where you are today? So yeah, twists and turns, they probably started way back when just because I was one of those people, uh, I was opposed to a lot of people that are around me that just did not know what to do in life <laughs> at all. So, you know, I was supposed to be a doctor, lawyer, um, Asian-American Asian family, and, you know, I was supposed to be success. And I didn't do any of those things, obviously. So, um, yeah, so when, when I graduated, I just had no idea. Um, I, I ended up in Asian-American studies, which even, like, freaked my parents out even more. Um, <laughs> but luckily for me, uh, the Silicon Valley had a boom, and the internet was born. And I got sucked up into the dot-com days, um, uh, days as in AYS, uh, AYS and AZE, because <laughs> it was such a whirlwind. And it was amazing. You know, it was like, it was such a heyday that we, I don't think I've ever seen again, because the money title status just was like, woo, like, that's nice. And yeah. I was able to say, you know, to my parents, huh, look at me. I actually became something <laughs> to their awe uh, with the Asian American Studies degree. But as we all know, you know, the dot-com busted. And for me, um, it was such a, like, you know, how things happen in threes. And that year that busted, um, the year it busted, number one, uh, I got laid off, uh, 9-11 happened. And then lastly, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. So 
having all those things happen at one time, it just really forced me to face what reality is and what really is most important. And I realized the money title status was, wasn't it at all. Um, so I decided to focus on things that were more meaningful for me. Um, and that's when I, I don't know if you remember in the book, Delivering Happiness, Tony talked about Kilimanjaro. And so I hiked that because I basically didn't want to go back to the world I came from. Um, so after some Dan, I should talk about it in my book as well. My perspective is like, his, he says, she says, her perspective is Kilimanjaro. Um, but essentially came back from that and just realized, you know, I really want to double down on my values, like what is most important. And after losing my dad, I knew it was people in my life. I was having freedom because I didn't want to get laid off again. And <laughs> I wanted to have more control and autonomy in my life. Um, and I wanted to be true to myself. And I felt like I, I was first time I was just coming to terms. I wasn't being authentic and I wasn't, and I was making decisions out of fear of failure instead of the other way of opportunity. Um, so at that point I just started uh, consulting on my own as an independent con uh, consultant. And that's when met Tony and Zappos and essentially, you know, they were a startup and I kind of see it as like, you know, one of those, you know, best friends, um, siblings and when they're, you know, when you first meet them, they're like, oh, they're like so cute and tiny. And they're like, oh, pinch <laughs> their cheek. And then Zappos is like, boom, like, wait, how did you grow so big? <laughs> That's how I kind of grew with them. And so started doing stuff with the culture book. Uh, and then eventually Delivering Happiness, the book came about, uh, the book deal. And Tony's like, hey, do you want to do this with me? And I was like, sure, you know, why not? Just was, you know, as a consultant, another project to check off the link, this uh, list of things to do. But lo and behold, you know, the book um, became a pretty decent success and we realized there was a demand for happiness and specifically for us, like workplace happiness. And what was, you know, really an interesting story that, you know, Tony talked about and um, uh, it intrigued people, but people kept on saying, well, that can't happen for me. You know, like that'll never happen in my company. And so I kind of took that as a dare and I'm like, I can prove you wrong, I think. I'm going to try. So just because I believed in so much about, you know, happiness and, and the science of it, like that just totally blew my mind. I'm like, wait, there's data and research being done even before I started thinking about this? Like, come on, give me more. But it was all very academic, you know, it was all very like, it, which is great, um, but it wasn't practical yet. And so that was my big charter. It's like, how can we actually distill all this great information about happiness, such a universal concept, put it on science and base it on science so that even the biggest naysayers can't say nay anymore um, because it's not about rainbows and unicorns or something a bit bigger than that and, and see if we can affect other organizations. And luckily, uh, fortunately for us, it did work um, by creating these frameworks based on different levers of what happiness was and is. Um, as an example, like that sense of autonomy, having a sense of freedom, uh, having a sense of control and progress, uh, having meaningful relationships, you know, things that we all know and, and think about, but having it summarized in this way and ultimately having a higher purpose. So creating those frameworks and methodologies over the years and basically uh, having our trusting clients to let us test it on them in the beginning has been so amazing. I mean, just... We've like half of our clients have been international from the very beginning. 
Um, we've since worked with like hospital systems and the government of Dubai. I mean, it is just, it grew from there in a way that I had not anticipated. And, and now we have um, DH satellites uh, partners in Egypt and Mexico and Spain um, and Japan. And it just like, yeah, it's, you know, that was 10, 11 years ago. And when you talk about twists and turns, like I thought I was just helping him write a book. And then, you know, here we are uh, 11 years later about to launch a, uh, another book. Fantastic. What a fantastic story. And, and one of those, one of those uh, endorsements for, you know, saying yes to the opportunities that come along, right. And, and using mm-hmm. your curiosity and following it along all the, all the really successful women I know have that in common of where it's like, this is interesting. Wow. My mind is blown. Let's follow it and see where it goes. So I, yeah. given, you know, we've had the most insane year and a half and, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you have had that too with a, an extra dose of, of tragedy with Tony's death. Um, are there things that you have learned personally during the pandemic? How mm-hmm. has how has the work you've done over the years helped sustain you through through all of this yeah. upheaval? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's uh, I mean, everyone has their own crazy 2020 story. I, I, I used to, I mean, I usually start my talks with, well, where were you in 2020 BC, which is before COVID and where are you now? And what, what have we learned? What do you want to do away with? What do we want to keep? That kind of stuff. Um, so for me, like, I, you know, everyone was just watching this reset on humanity with, you know, the pandemic, global recession, social unrest, just seemed like every day as we knew it felt like um, Blur's Day. Like we just didn't know what the heck we're waking up to anymore. Um, but for me, so I had spot, signed the book contract uh, beginning of the year. So nothing had happened yet. And then everything had happened. Um, so it was it, it already in itself with that kind of like huge global impact of what was going on and made me rethink because the book you know, contract and the outline that was originally proposed just didn't feel enough, you know, like, yeah. that's just like, that's just so many skill, like, you know, yeah. we're going through, you know, a societal, global societal thing here. So I kept on restarting, restarting. I don't even know how many drafts I had. Um, but then, uh, of course, as you mentioned, Tony passed. And so that was the ultimate blow because that, that was at like Thanksgiving right after Thanksgiving at the end of 2020. Um, so that really um, put me into a spiral because I had to, you know, I, I had a level of confidence of, oh, we've had 11 years of doing this with organizations and what we believe in. And we've seen the proof, we've seen the ROI, both in investment and in impact, what we call ripple of impact. But that point, at that point, as I was trying to process what happened, um, it really made me put a mirror to myself and ask myself, do you still believe these things? Because you probably had, I just, you know, we all had the horrendous years, but I just had one of my lowest lows in my life next to my dad passing away, like I mentioned earlier. So then that, that's what I spent a lot of time on. I'm understanding, can I honestly, you know, authentically put something out there and, and know this to be true. And, and so after going through that processing, that's when I realized it even reinforced it even more. 
Um, but the biggest thing I think I learned in that, and this, uh, there's a Rumi quote that I really love that, that started shifting my, or reframing um, the way I was digesting and processing is that the cure for pain is in the pain. Mm-hmm. And so I, I read a lot of books around grief and not just like the downsides of grief, but the, the actual grace of grief and the beauty of grief. And the more I got into that, and we saw so many forms of that, you know, we had so many forms of loss and, and seeing it not within just my life, but around us, the more I realized the deeper I got into accepting it and actually sitting with it and embracing it, the, the pain and loss, the higher my highs could get. And the, and the, and that was a full belief I've had in, in the past. And it just got reinforced even more with all that happened in 2020 and Tony's passing. It's just, it sounds cliche, you know, you can't hit your highs until you hit your lows, but to actually experience it and process it in a way that internalized my own senses of, you know, pain and my own senses of darkness. Like we, you know, I'm, it, the irony is like, I'm, you know, chief happiness officer of DH, but I openly admit, like I have my dark sides too. And so that's why the book um, wasn't even titled till after um, Tony passed. That's why I, I, I went with Beyond Happiness because it's getting beyond those initial, you know, thoughts that we have uh, or assumptions we have of what happiness means, but it also involves the other side of two, our highs and lows. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's, um, it's, it's true that so many people have experienced devastating losses in this year. And I, you know, I've heard people call this time, you know, the, the re the great reset, Mm -hmm. Um, the, you know, so many companies are, trying to make space for their employees to experience those lows. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I feel very hopeful about that because mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, we're grappling with reality now. People, when they talk about bringing their whole selves to work, it's like sometimes your whole self is not in a good place. It's kind of messy. Mm-hmm. And, and um, um, uh, you know, I can't remember anything personally um, like this time, except for living in New York around 9-11. I was there for mm-hmm. 9-11. And it's like what, you know, that collective trauma that everybody went through. Um, so it's, it's, I'm glad to hear that, that, um, that, uh, that you've recommitted to the principles in your book. And I would love to know, to talk a little bit more about the book and talk about the things that people can put in place in their own lives and in their own workplaces in particular. We talk so much about creating cultures, um, creating cultures of inclusion and creating cultures where people feel they belong, creating cultures where people can bring their whole selves. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people I talk to say, that's a terrific ideal, but I don't know how, I don't know how to do that. What do I do? So what what do you tell people who are searching for that in their own lives and workplaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of like how it's um, as dismal it's been for so many people and still hard, difficult for people right now. There is some, uh, there has been some optimism and promising leaders that are, you know what, let's get real. And and what I think is, it's not a nice to have, it's a, it's a must have these days. Um, especially as we see 
like, you know, Simone Biles at the Olympic uh, Olympics say, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And so, um, you know, uh, Naomi Osaka at the French Open say no. And that's basically their workplace, you know, we're, or <laughs> they just have a different kind of work, but um, it's so applicable now. And so for, for us and for me, what I've learned along the years and, and especially in the last few years, I knew something was happening because we have a model um, where if you can imagine concentric circles, it's me in the middle, we and community, and they're all interlinked, you know, they're all inter, uh, can coexist. They don't have to be, you know, in battle with one another. So especially in the last few years, what I realized is that we have to start with our me. And by doing that, then then we can actually see that ripple of impact to the teams, our organizations, and eventually our community customers, partners, and vendors in our ecosystem. So the way we do it, and this again was um, or originated from the science of happiness, is the, the most sustainable form of happiness time and time again, no matter what academic you talk to, is that sense of higher purpose. So we hear that word being used so much these days, but like, what does that really mean? So in the book, I really wanted to not talk about it just conceptually, but actually, how do you do it? So one big thing we have is about purpose and, and values, not just like defining a purpose statement, but also what are the specific values that you want to live by? It's the, it's the how that you want to live by for your purpose. So there's a few ways to go about it. Like um, I'll just uh name some examples. Um, so one of the things, uh, exercises we have is the happiness heartbeat. And that is essentially is you're the star of your own show. Like you're the star in your movie and you look back and reflect on just the highs and lows of your heartbeats, knowing that we all have them and being able to identify those moments. Let's just say three highs, three lows, and actually kind of deep dive into those moments. Like what made it a high, like what values were there? What what people were there and the lows, same thing, what values weren't there, what people weren't there. Um, that when you start pulling little anecdotes from your own life, then, and then we have a little chart and all these different values that you can like, you know, correlate it to, then you start seeing patterns of like, Oh, so, and people are actually really surprised sometimes on what their values that come out. Like, wait, I thought, um, you know, my family would be up there, but they're not, that's interesting, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, I love seeing the, the aha moments in that because the assumption is that so many people think they're living by what they believe in. And uh, there's a story in the book and he's actually um, my brother. So not to throw him under the bus because he's changed now, but he realized because his family was his number one priority. That was his purpose. That's how his values were revolving around. But then there was an aha moment because um, her daughter, his daughter started calling him, uh, daddy work as his name. Oh. And, and, and so my brother asked his wife, you're like, why, why is she calling me daddy work? It's like, oh, because every time I say, she says, where's daddy? It's like, oh, daddy's at work. And so that just crushed him. Like, he's like, oh, wow, I'm supposed to be, that's my purpose in life. And my, my daughter's calling me daddy work. So he totally changed that around. Like, took time off and just, you know, reprioritize his purpose and how he lived it on a day-to-day -day basis. We call it the compass and the clock. Are you using your clock actually aligned to your compass? Um, so that's one exercise that we do and just getting just real with yourself. And that kind of goes back to those, you know, alludes back to the highs and lows that I talked about of why it's beyond happiness. It's, it's being able to like dive into those low moments too.
Right. I love that idea of the compass and the clock. That's so that's so great because so many of us say these are the things we value, but then if you actually look at the amount of time you spend in your day, yeah, um, exactly how many hours am I truly spending aligning that with my with my values? Um, uh, I had a conversation about finances yesterday with Sharon Epperson from CNBC. She actually was talking about the same thing. It's like aligning <laughs> with your values. If this is your value, then are you actually spending and we're saving according to that? And it's such right. a useful, it's such a useful frame. I, I love that. Thank you so much. So, yeah, talk a little bit about your highs and the things that are exciting and inspiring you right now. Um, I mean, those patterns in yourself, where, where do your highs come in? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I think in time and time again, like if I see my patterns, it's always been with um, people in some form or another. I think if I look back right now, um, some of my highs were definitely still Kilimanjaro. Like I had no idea how much that would impact me or, or Tony for that matter, for us both to be in it, ending up writing it about it in the book, in a book. Um, and it involves adventure. And so another high was unexpected in terms of like launching a company, <laughs> even though I'd never had experience. I never was a CEO, never, the, n- neither did I ever say I want to be one. <laughs> and there was a funny kind of aside, like, we had launched the book and we were, uh, I don't know, it was a few months into the book tour and Tony looked at me and he's like, uh, I never asked you if you wanted to do this, huh? In terms of running a company. And uh-huh. I'm like, no, you did not, <laughs> but it was already done. Like uh, the ship was already sailed, but of course for me, it was so aligned with my purpose and, and values. And so it felt very natural. Um, so these days I would think that uh, same thing happened, like the highs of, being able to, I think if I reflect like um, getting out um, during the like that one window of pandemic where I was able to travel, I went to Costa Rica Uh uh, for the first time and with a bunch of friends. And so it's the elements of that adventure of having that sense of like, you know, uh, curiosity and being around people that, uh, you know, I love. So whenever that happens, I feel it's like those highs that are bringing me uh, to a new place. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. So do you feel like you have, this is a question I love to ask the women that we interview. Do you have something that you consider your superpower, something that you do sort of, it's so easy for you that you don't even think of it as a skill? Hmm. Um, I guess what I've enjoyed over the years and been able to like without realizing and honing in on that is that I'm <laughs> I'm able to get to like a deep dive a part of like deep dive into a conversation with someone that I hardly know and mm-hmm. almost instantly <laughs> like really quickly and and even for people that I, I do know like we always end up going to very different directions of like just an unusual conversation and maybe I don't know I, because I, I, you know, get a kick out of that because I love making people think, hmm, I wonder, you know, or, um, yeah, so maybe that could be a form. That's wonderful. Those conversations that you can keep probing. This is why I love podcasting. It's so fun. You get to ask whatever questions occur to you and 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 uh, and lead people in different directions. It's always really fun. So yeah, are there. Are you're good there, at it. 
there are um are there changes in yourself that you have noticed as you have become, you know, you're leading a company and you're very modest about it and you're saying, you know, I was essentially saying you were an accidental uh, leader of the company. But are there changes that you have seen in your own leadership style that you can point to now and say, oh, yes, that has always worked for me. I'm going to keep on doing that. There Are there like little mantras that you use as a leader that you find are just sort of quick resets for yourself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, everyone that I mean, listening and, and as you know, there's so many ups and downs in being <laughs> an entrepreneur CEO or whatever. And so I think, yeah, I, I had to reflect on those lows and there was times even in the last year, you know, because we're such a high touch company and, and being, um, you know, on lockdown, that was not helpful for us. And five years ago, I actually had to, well, I decided to reset the company in a different way. And there was no recession. There was that, it was just more of me getting real with myself and leadership style. And um, so at that time, I decided to go a more self-managed approach. Um, so basically had our own version of it. It wasn't holacracy. It wasn't anything that's prescriptive or anything like uh, any version of self-management. We made up our own and we called it H2O. So it's kind of like our own version of, um, you know, self-organization. And that was tough because um, some people weren't happy with that. And some people were, they're like, this is totally me. Like, I want to be more free. I want to have autonomy, but um, and a lot of people think they want that, but then they're like, no, tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, like, yes. Isn't that so describe yeah. that a little bit more for people who may not know the concept when you talk about self-management and um, mm -hmm. so you're, you're, you're setting, you're not, you're not managing in a really top-down way as I understand it, but right. could you describe it a little bit more? Yeah. So it's kind of like the opposite of command and control. So if you imagine like in the military, there's one leader and then everyone follows. So if you flip it on side, uh, upside down, it's kind of, it's not to say there's no hierarchy because there's a big uh, misnomer that people think when they, they hear like self-management, everyone's just kind of running around, like doing their own thing. Um, there is hierarchy, but it's more, a more fluid way. It's more dynamic. And I think the reason why it's happening and more important right now more than ever because like what we've seen in the last 18 months things change every day and if you still have that hierarchy then your your company's not going to adapt and you know therefore not really last that long um so then it becomes more of a sort of fluid and adaptive uh, relationship in terms of leaders so that if you have a certain passion or purpose or you know um, plus skill set, of course, but you know that then you can actually get there quicker rather than having to go through the ranks of the normal ladder. Um, and it, it, when done well, and the, the key there is that it sounds like it's really loosey goose and everyone's running around like hanging out the clubhouse or whatever. But the reality is that if you do it with rigor, because there needs to be structure and there needs to be accountability. So if you have those things in place, then you actually see um how things can move in a more adaptive way but still have a sense of like well there's the ultimate goal here that we all want to achieve so how are we going to get there right so that's what uh, i learned a lot in, in that whole experience <laughs> let me tell you i uh i'm a kind of person what i learned is that i i i sort of a people pleaser right i want everyone to be happy i mean that's uh -huh. the nature of my job <laughs> and after that experience i was like that's just not feasible uh, all the time 
some yeah. people don't want to be some people are not going to be happy in that environment Is that yeah. yeah 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 um and it's also not my ultimate job job to try and twist people's arms and and you know wanting to feel or experience this a certain way mm -hmm. so yeah I, I realized my style of leadership in that um and and uh the need just to keep on growing and testing new things and being more curious about what's out there because um yeah we know we're gonna fail and so just expecting that and you know i did have to go yes. through that a few times yeah, exactly. I've been saying during the pandemic that I've redefined success for myself every six weeks during <laughs> because you have to. Um, yeah. Conditions are changing constantly. And um, that kind of adaptability, while I can feel like you're really being bedeviled by external circumstances, keeping that ultimate goal in mind is is the key thing. So the processes mm -hmm. that you there can change every day. And yeah, you totally have to. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, just to build off on that, because things are changing, um, that's part of why I call this the adaptive age is like the more we can, more we can get a sense of grounded groundedness in what we can control, which is our own personal purpose and values. And as we lead companies, our teams, their uh, purpose and values and make sure those are aligned. That's like probably where I've seen the most effective ways of adapting because you can have swirls around you and, and dust storms and earthquakes and all that. But if you have some level of groundedness, um, that does wonders not only for companies, but for our own, you know, spiritual selves. Right. Right. That's, that's great. Thank you. So what do you hope remains from this incredible experience? We are, I keep saying, you keep using past tense and past tense is <laughs> not appropriate. We are still going through the reset. Yeah the pandemic, some people are still really suffering. A lot of companies are suffering. Parents are going through so much right now. Women have left the workforce. I think we're at a 33 year low in female employment, which is just so shocking, mm -hmm. really setting a generation of women back. But what do you, what are the good things that you really hope stay from this period? Mm -hmm. um, I think that like, as we talked about the great reset, there's the, the great reset, the great resignation, the great, how many more grades can we have in a 16 months, 18 months? She session. <laughs> Sorry. The she session is the other one. Right. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, but I think what I would like to say is um, what kind of coupled with all these grades is also the great awakening. And that gives me hope because, you know, Four million people just in April alone quit their jobs at, at a height of a recession. And um, a lot of them didn't have a place to go. They were just like, we're done. You know, whether it's mom, because it's like, you know, I can't go back to work, nor do I want to. I want to be safe for my kids or um, because they weren't feeling they had enough flexibility in other choices or just kind of coming down to, wait, uh, I wake up in the morning to this. Like, do I really want to spend my waking hours for the rest, you know, forever, how long working on things like this or working for something like this without that deeper sense of, you know, purpose and meaning. So that I think is the most, um, like one of the, the, the brightest points of this really, you know, talking about highs and lows. I think that's my, one of my highest highs is seeing people make that choice. And I kind of joke around like, don't let a good pandemic go to waste. Exactly. And this has been a good one and it's still going, being, being pretty good. Um, 
But that's when it's been really cool to see how people are making choices and stands for themselves. Uh, and we talk about, you know, self-love, self-care and all that. And it becomes like a woo kind of thing. But this is your life. Um, and I, one of the exercises or things I talk about in the book is and this got highlighted because of Tony's passing. But I said, um, you know, instead of working on your resume, why don't you try working on your eulogy more? And yes. not to be morbid, but just imagine what, you know, what do you want people to say? Because, you know, when Steve Jobs died and when Rosa Parks died, when Tony passed, it wasn't all about like, what an amazing iPhone. Like, you know, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was his character, it was, it was their characters. Um, so I think that's one, one of the best, you know, brightest silver linings of all of this. Wonderful. What do you say? I mean, there's still some companies that are resisting this call. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, you're not working with those companies, obviously, if they don't call you in. <laughs> but what do you say to people who are saying, oh, this is a passing phase. Everybody has to get back to work because I said so. Um, remote work is not going to last. Um, and we want to get back to normal as defined by the older generation of people who you know, defined work in a different way. So what do you mm-hmm. say to, the, to, to, to that attitude? I just share um, like anecdotally and just based on data, like if the the rate of change has been going so fast and I mean, just like before the pandemic happened, we thought, you know, uh, Blockbuster was going to be around forever. Um, We thought JCPenney was going to be around forever. You know, I I point to these kind of companies uh, as a reminder that if you don't actually build that level of adaptiveness, um, then you're not going to survive. And why it's so also very different now than then, even in the Kodak time or the Blockbuster time or whatever, is that we always talk about the future of work. And the future of work just actually got accelerated because the future of work is now. And so we're talking about all this AI and robotics and you know different kind of automation. And the reality is that if you look at the big big companies out there, the Microsofts, the Googles uh, of the world, they're not um, thinking about how they're going to get rid of people and how, because uh, the future work is coming. They're f- figuring out how they're spending like millions, if not billions of dollars um, in uh, reinvesting and reskilling their people. And that's where the future lies. And, and all of a sudden it just got pushed up and catalyzed in our face uh, because of all these events. So I just bring it back to those uh, factors of, you know, adapt or, or die essentially. And how are you going to do that? It's like more people are waking up to wanting to be their whole selves. And you can totally choose that route uh, to not go that way. But I think you'll find really quickly that you're not growing the, uh, the brand or the company that you want with the people that you would want. So that's your choice. Right, right. Yes, it's a it's a wake up call and a warning for some, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, as we start to wrap up here, and um, I want to ask you, do you have? I mean, you've already hiked Kilimanjaro. Is there another mountain that you want to climb, whether it's personal or professional? I mean, it's a kind of funny question to ask you at the beginning of a new book tour, um, <laughs> because that's a big mountain. I know to 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 promote a book. But is there, do you think that way? Do you think in terms of, oh, in a couple of years, I want to be in a different place? Oh, wow. Yeah, it is hard to answer that because the book was such a, I I thought it was harder than Kilimanjaro. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, 
quite a journey. And of course, going through those journeys and getting to the top and, and it's still not over yet. Cause you know, the book tour is not, um, it hasn't been launched yet. So, so it's, what's funny is that during the, the journey, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I, like when we did delivering happiness, I was like, never again. And then of course the work on the next book yeah. It's when I was doing beyond happiness, I was like, hell no, never again. <laughs> and then of course, after I finished it, I'm like, mm, I think there, there's a different kind of uh, summit in me in writing. I think for me, what, it, what the book beyond happiness was capturing was that moment in time. And it was a pretty tough time. So it was a, now that I look back at, uh, at it, I'm like, that's a pretty dense book. Like, whoa, that was going through some major stuff. So I think the next one, if there is a next one, it'd be much lighter. <laughs> it might yeah. be fiction. Uh, definitely more uh, like comedic lines in there, but just something that I think represents the, the other side of, of, of me. Wonderful. Looking forward to the light. Well, let's end on, on a question that I love to ask people, which is, what are you grateful for right now? Oh, wow. There's just so much. Um, it's really always been this way for the longest time, especially after, uh, you know, re realigning my values to people. And I realized, especially over the last 18 months, how, I mean, I consider them my village, right? You have your immediate village and you have your extended village. And I didn't realize, especially going through, you know, the lows of this last 18 months was, wow, I just have such a deep and wide, you know, village of amazing people and support system. And just like, I, I just feel like too, too lucky. I feel bad sometimes because I'm like, wait, why did I deserve this? It's uh, yeah. So that's what I'm grateful for my village. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you, Jen Lim so much for being with us today. Um, thank you, Peggy. The name of the book, again, is Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact, and it releases in October. And we hope to see you live and in person at a Watermark event soon. So thank, like that. thank you again so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening today. Along with my co-host, Nicole Ward-Parr, I invite you to check out all of our upcoming programs at wearewatermark.org. With leadership training and inspirational fireside chats with awesome coaches, entrepreneurs, and women business leaders every single week, we're dedicated to helping you become the leader you were meant to be. We hope you'll consider becoming a member, lend your expertise, or come to one of our in-person conferences. We'll learn, we'll connect, and we'll have fun, I promise. Hope to see you soon. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.